If, uh, if anyone here is a, is a parent, then you're, you're probably going to understand this truth that I'm going to, to present this morning to you. If, uh, if anyone here is a child, you'll understand the, the truth as well. There, there's many things that we learn as parents from other people, even if, even if we're somebody who, who doesn't have kids, but we're in charge of watching other people's kids, you're going to recognize some of these, some of these truths. If you're somebody who has been in charge of children at any particular time, there's, there's truths that we teach our children that are almost second nature, um, we will, whether you're a parent or you're watching somebody else's children, you will pay attention and, and you'll tell the kids, you know, don't run in the street, right? Maybe we'll, we'll tell kids, you know, don't play with matches, right? Don't pull hair. You know, don't, don't throw rocks. Don't draw on the walls. Like, don't run with scissors. These are all things that we'll teach kids, right? You know, maybe don't call names. One of the most important rules that parents will teach children, especially in this day and age, is don't talk to strangers, right? It's a, it's a common truth that, that as adults we teach our children for safety reasons, and especially in public areas. And, and as children grow up, though, what we have found and what researchers have found is, is through these rules and through these distinctive truths that we've given our children, sometimes our children, and we get into our adult lives, and we find that, that, we, that we hold on to that one particular rule that says don't talk to strangers. And then we find later in life that we literally don't talk to strangers, right? It becomes part of, of our life and, and sometimes it becomes very awkward when we start talking to strangers and people who we don't know, and especially when we're talking to somebody who we don't know about something as important as our faith. Sometimes as adults, we kind of shy away from, from talking to strangers because it's something that was ingrained in us very early in our life. Don't talk to strangers because of safety. And, and safety reasons turned into, later in our teenage years and into our 20s, it turned into, don't talk to strangers because sometimes it's a little awkward. Or maybe don't talk to strangers because maybe they're going to ridicule you on, on, what, they, on, on what you're trying to say. One of our greatest mentors in our Christian faith who talked to strangers all the time is the Apostle Paul. Paul was constantly talking to strangers and telling people about Jesus so much that, that he was beaten and he was put in prison for telling people about Jesus. And then when he got out of prison, he was beaten some more and put in prison again. He was always being persecuted for telling people about Jesus. Total strangers. Paul had three what we call missionary journeys, where he would leave his headquarters city in Antioch, and he would, he would travel great distances, over 10,000 miles by foot. Paul traveled to do one thing, and that was to tell strangers about Jesus. They're not people that he knew. 
They're, they're people who were, who were absolutely outside his realm of influence, but his faith was so strong. He did this in person with so many people. He would walk up into, into strange towns and tell them about Jesus. And, and then others, other towns that he would come to, he would stop, and, and Paul would write letters back to other cities that he had been to and other churches that he had started And he would write these letters, we call them epistles, and and he would write these letters and send them back to other churches to train people. He would send them back to other churches to, to teach people, to encourage churches, to exhort churches, and to really explain their Christian walk. Paul is going to give us some great direction today through the inspired word of God in one of his letters. Let me tell you kind of an inside look at pastoring. It's not uncommon for a pastor to pray with somebody who is just coming to Jesus. Maybe it's right here in front of the stage that will pray with somebody that says, I really want to give my life to Christ. And it's an exciting time in the life of a new believer when they, when they walk down the aisle and they, and they pray with a pastor But the next thing that you hear as a pastor, and it might be the next day, it might be after church, but it's this question of what now? Now that I've come to Christ, what am I supposed to do as a child of God? How, as a Christian, do I fully please Jesus? How is it that now that I'm a believer, that I walk worthy of the Lord, that I I move forward to please Him in everything that I do? What is it that Christians can do to make Jesus happy? I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the first chapter of the book of Colossians. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 12 in a message that I've titled, Walking Worthy of the Lord. There are many great passages in this book in Colossians, and it's a book that I would ask you to spend time reading because there's amazing instruction that comes from the Apostle Paul. But we want to look at what Paul is is talking about when he talks to God and he prays for his brothers and sisters, a church and people that he's that he is he's trained their leader he's not necessarily been there but he knows of this church in a city called Colossae Paul has never met this group of individuals but Paul is asking God to fill these believers with the knowledge of God's will and that they may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him see that's that's Paul's prayer, and that's Paul's instruction, and that's Paul's just his, his, his wish and his hope for any community that has heard the gospel through either Paul or through the people that Paul has trained. He wants people to be able to fully please Jesus. A little history on this book is, is certainly helpful as we look at this scripture this morning. Paul is essentially writing, he's writing this letter. And at the time that he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul is in prison in Rome. In the past, 
Paul had spent about two to three years in a city called Ephesus. And while Paul was in Ephesus, Paul started a church there. And Paul had trained many people, and many men became pastors in churches around the area in Galatia. And, and Colossae is a city that is, that is nearby Ephesus. But one of the men that Paul would have trained is a gentleman by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras had taken what he learned from Paul in Ephesus and he had taken it back to his home city of Colossae. And Epaphras was teaching people about Christ in Colossae. Paul is telling this church in this letter, he is actually giving a very good report of Epaphras and what Epaphras is teaching. And he's telling the church, he's saying, what Epaphras has taught you is exactly the truth. He learned it from me, and, and I am backing him. I'm praising him for the message that he has brought to you. So he's standing up for Epaphras and saying, he's doing a very good job. I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen to him. In this letter that Paul gives the church in Colossae, and by extension gives to us a, a, a timeless truth about how to live the Christian life in a way that will make Jesus smile. In a way that is walking worthy of the Lord. In a way that pleases our Lord. We have a pretty good grasp, I think, as Christians, on what not to do in our Christian walk. If I were to ask everyone here, I want you to take a sheet of paper or as much paper as you need and just start listing the things that you're not to do being a Christian, I'm sure that we can spend plenty of time writing a list of the things that we need to stay away from, the things that are not healthy for us, the things that the Bible says, this is what I, I don't want you doing as a Christian. These are things I want you to stay away from. But if I were to ask people to take a sheet of paper and start writing down the things that we are supposed to do, the things that, that we are to do to make Jesus happy, I think some of us would struggle a little bit more with that list. might not be as lengthy. We might have to sit back and think a little bit. Do we fully understand what God is telling us to do that will actually please him? We can thank Paul as he goes into great detail and answers this question and gives us specific. He tells his audience what it really takes to be fully pleasing to the Lord as a Christian. I want you to read with me, and it'll be up on the screen. We're in Colossians chapter 1. I'm starting in verse number 9. Paul writes this. He says, For this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. In the New International Version, you'll notice that there's an English punctuation mark here. It's called a, a colon. It's the two dots okay, that come at the end of, this, of this, this phrase. It means that we're about to go into a list of items. I want to say if, if your Bible does not have a colon there, don't worry about it because this list of items, it's, it's still there. Okay? Paul is going to give us a list of things that he is saying, I'm praying for you as a church in Colossae. I'm praying for you to understand the will of God. And the things that are going to, to put you in a position to live a life that is absolutely worthy of the Lord. 
I want you to read with me in Colossians, we're in chapter 1, verse number 10. Paul says this, as we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, there's the colon, first in the list, it says, bearing fruit in every good work. That leads us to point number one in your notes. For those of you joining us for the first time, you'll find on the left-hand side of your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks right there. And I'm going to put the fill-in-the-blanks up here on the, uh, on the screen. You'll see those, and you can write those down in your bulletin. Point number one in your notes this morning. Living a life pleasing to Jesus means that we need to bear fruit. Living a life pleasing to Jesus means that we need to bear fruit. When we talk about bearing fruit in our day and age, it's sometimes we're going to have a, a difficult time explaining what is it exactly that the Bible is telling us. See, we don't really use the term bearing fruit very much in our modern day culture. Maybe unless you're a farmer or you're in agriculture, you're going to talk about growing fruit at all. We get, we get our fruit from, from Stater Brothers or we go into to Food for Less and we just go to the, we don't bear fruit, we buy fruit, right? We put it in a little baggie and we weigh it and we take it home with us. So again, if, if, if I think if I were to ask 20 people in a room to define bearing fruit, you'd probably get like 25 answers. Somebody's going to write down their answer. They're going to be, wait, 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 I'm going to change mine up. Right? We, don't have a, we don't have a true and a solid definition of what bearing fruit means. Some may say that bearing fruit is, maybe it's doing good deeds. Somebody else might say that bearing fruit, maybe it's helping a neighbor. Maybe bearing fruit, maybe it's having a lot of kids. Maybe it's a full quiver, right? Maybe it's bearing fruit. Maybe somebody would say bearing fruit, that's, that's being a good example to people. But what does the Bible say about bearing fruit? All of these examples, all of these answers are good, but if you look close enough, Paul states, he states a before and after in this, in this scripture, in this phrase in verse number 10, he gives us more definition. So this is important. It's just one little word here gives us an amazing amount of perspective. Look again what Paul says. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. Some translations will say bearing fruit with every good work. See, bearing fruit is not the same as good works. Bearing fruit can be the result of good works, but it's not the same as good works itself. In the original language, the word fruit it's the Greek word karpos. It, 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 it literally means the fruit of a tree of the earth, which is produced by, this is a little deep, the inherent energy of a living organism. Okay, So whatever that organism is that, that is producing energy, it produces the fruit. One Bible scholar said this, fruit is the visible expression of power working inwardly and invisibly the character of the fruit being evidence of the characteristic of the power producing it. I know there's a lot to it, but we don't have a tree that produces scissors, right? We have a tree that produces a fruit that resembles the tree. 
We can do good works by going out and helping a neighbor. We could, we could give a handful of change to somebody on the, on the street, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, and that's doing good works. But Paul is simply telling us that the way to please Jesus is to do our good works in a way that is going to involve Jesus being shown and grown in somebody else. That's bearing fruit. I'll be honest with you, I've caught myself in a situation where maybe I'd spend part of a Saturday over at a neighbor's house. There's one time a, a little while ago when, a, when one of my neighbors needed help installing a garage door. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a real handy kind of guy. But I can come over and I can help you, you know, screw into the wall and, and put up these rails you know, and then put it in the next screw. I can do that and, and lift pieces of the garage door. And, and I would go over and I remember this Saturday that I was over there and I spent a, a few hours working and helping and putting in this garage door. And, and when we were done, I sat down and we completed a chore and, and I had done a great Christian work. But you know what happened after we were done with that? I went home all this work with my neighbor and I did nothing to bear fruit. I did a great Christian work, but I never, at that moment, I never talked to my neighbor about Jesus. And I look back on it and I say, wow, what an opportunity. I'm here for, for four hours and doing this work and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't even bear fruit. I might have planted a seed but I did nothing to water, I did nothing to harvest, I did nothing to sow. And see, that doesn't fit with what Paul is telling me to do in bearing fruit with every good work. Sometimes we'll do good works, but Paul is saying, he's saying your Christian good works aren't going far enough. He says our works need to lead to bearing fruit. Now, we're not always, we're not going to convert every single person that, that we see. We're not going to convert every single person that we come across or, or everyone who is, who is there that, that, we're, that we're doing good works for. We're, not everyone is going to come to Christ. I understand that. But we need to try, don't we? We need to do some work. In the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 4, Jesus is he's teaching this parable of a farmer that went out to plant seed. So the farmer was tossing some seed on the path, and it, and it had no protection from predators at all. The birds came, and they ate the seed. And, and Jesus said that, he says, this is what happens when people hear the gospel for the first time, but as, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away really quick. So it, that's what Jesus is saying. He says that, you know, just spread seed out on the path and Satan, see, Satan is going to oppose what they just heard and he's going to turn them away from the gospel. And Jesus said the farmer tossed a little bit more seed out and some of it fell in these rocky areas where there wasn't much soil and the plants, they, they jumped up quick, but because there was no soil, it was, it was shallow soil, the sun scorched the plants. There was no roots. And Jesus said that this plant, it's like a new Christian, a, a naked Christian with no armor, and it would fall quick when trouble or persecution comes because there's no roots to, to hold them in a, in a strong soil. 
You know, you and I are those roots that help hold new Christians into their faith, right? Farmer had some more seed to sow and he threw it and, and it fell amongst the thorns and those thorns just choked it out and it didn't grow at all. And Jesus said, these seeds are like people who hear the gospel, but they get so worried about life and about the lies of wealth and prosperity that it just chokes out the gospel, making this person unfruitful. Because the troubles of this life just, they can't seem to look into the gospel and see where, where it's, it helps them, where it has a plan through life. But finally, there were some seeds left that the, that the farmer threw out, and he threw it onto good soil, and it produced a crop that was 30, says 60, even 100 times what was sown. See, if sowing seeds is good work, then producing a crop is bearing fruit. We can all throw seeds. We can all go out and toss seeds. But that's not the end of the job, right? That's not the end of the process. See, sowing seeds is always a good work, but not every good work is going to bear fruit. We can't, we can't say, okay, I've done my job. I've thrown seeds of the gospel out and just walk away to another part of the field and throw more seeds. It's our job to, to work to bear fruit. You and I, we have, we've already had seeds planted in our hearts. Somebody along each of our paths took the time to plant seeds. Maybe it was the same person who would come around later, or maybe it was somebody different who would come and water those seeds. And at some point, somebody took this seed that was planted in our heart and, and sh- was showing us how to take this seed and how, how it grows and turns into to doing good works that plant other seeds and bear fruit. Somebody took the time to nourish those seeds and invited us to church on a Sunday. Somebody took the time to, to nourish those seeds and, and to invite us to dinner on a, on a Thursday and prayed for us and became a farmer and became a brother to us. And sometimes as we're in our walk, we notice somebody who's had a seed planted, but nobody's stayed. nobody has been there to water and nobody has been there to help grow those seeds. And that's our job, right? So we can work in in planting our own seeds and staying and helping to bear fruit, but we can also stay to help bear fruit in seeds that somebody else has planted, right? Now it's our turn. When we spend all day helping that neighbor install a, a garage door, the work can't stop there. We can't just go home. We need to make sure that we are planting seeds. We need to be working to bear fruit. We need to talk to our neighbors about Jesus. We need to talk to total strangers about Jesus. Because here's the thing. We never know how Christ is going to use your neighbor when we plant the seeds. We never know what Christ is going to do. There's a saying that says that you can, you can cut and see how many seeds you have in an apple, but it's not until you begin the work of bearing fruit and planting that you'll ever know how many apples are in the seed. See, when we plant, 
seeds can grow in healthy soil at 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times, Christ says. That's our job not to give up, not to stop, right? That's the power of multiplying the kingdom. But as we put our work of into practice of bearing fruit and increasing the amount of good works we are doing with the intention of bearing fruit, we're also growing in what we know about God. I want you to read back with me in Colossians chapter 1. We're in verse number 10 again. We're going to be here in verse number 10. Paul says this, And we pray this in order that you live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, colon, bearing fruit with every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. We're going to stop right there. Point number two in your notes this morning says this, living a life pleasing to Jesus means that we need to continue to learn who Christ is. Living a life pleasing to Jesus means that we need to continue to learn who Christ is. It's an idea that is deeper than simply reading our Bible and learning About God, it's the complete comprehension of God. It's to create a more well-rounded view of somebody who we already know. See, there's Christians today who could say all that they need to know about God they learned in Sunday school. And I'll be honest with you, there's some Christians who who have been going to church every now and then since Sunday school but they've stopped learning about God. They've they've stopped growing in connection to God. Maybe when they were a kid, mom told them about God, and and maybe grandma prayed with them and told them Bible stories, and they'd say that they've known God all of their life, but for some people, this childhood learning about who God actually is as a being is as far as they're ever going in their learning. It's just Bible studies from Sunday school. Paul is telling the church in Colossae that we need to be growing in our knowledge of God, that if you've stopped learning, then you've stopped growing. He's saying that we continue to grow. That's not a word that has an end date. It doesn't stop. There's no time that you reach full growth. The goal is to continue to grow deeper through experience with God. The principle is to know God better, to become intimate with God, to learn about Him through our Christian experience. It's to learn about His traits of love, and of peace. It's about taking time to learn through revelation that that God, through His Holy Word, is telling us that, that God is great, that God is personal, that God is mighty, that God simply is, that He exists, that He's He's infinite in relation to time. That learning that God is powerful, that He is morally pure, that, that God is holy and righteous and just, and that, that He is genuine and faithful, and, and that God is love and He is benevolent and, and merciful, and He is persistent, and that God has allergies, that He is allergic to sin. Sammy told me that one time, and, and so it worked its way into the sermon a while back. But see, all of these are traits that make God Him. And we could read these 
And we can know them as head knowledge, but you don't truly know them until you experience them. You don't truly know God's mercy until you experience God's mercy. Amen? Paul is praying that, that we will live a life that is pleasing to Jesus and that we take time not to simply know about him with book knowledge, but that we know about him as we interact with Christ through our life, that we learn how his traits affect us. I'll tell you, if you go back and talk to any of my high school English teachers that would remember me, and unfortunately some of them actually might, any of my English teachers would tell you that I am probably one of the students in the class that knows and learned the least amount of any of the students about a guy by the name of William Shakespeare. Anything Shakespeare was right over my head. I didn't pay attention to it at all. When the Shakespeare category comes on Jeopardy, I am done. I don't know any of these answers or questions at all. But I will say that if you, were to, if you were to put me in a room for six weeks with everything that William had written over his lifetime, all of his plays, every, everything that I could learn and I could read, I might be able to come out of that room in, in six weeks and I might be able to, to tell you everything there is to know about him. I might be able to tell you his shoe size, what the color of his favorite hat was, what the name of his mule was, and, and, and I might be able to recite back to you everything that he's ever written. But that doesn't mean that I actually and personally know him. That means that I know about him. Can you really know a person who you don't spend time with? We can know about somebody who we don't spend time with. But you only get to know somebody personally and through experience, somebody who you spend time with. See, we learn more about God from our personal experiences with Him. We learn so much more than what it is we're going to read about Him. See, because what we read about God, what we read about Jesus in the New Testament is the way Jesus interacted with other people who were living at his time. Right now we are 7,500 miles and 2,000 years removed from the time that Jesus walked on this earth. How does Jesus interact with us? How do we interact with Christ? All throughout the New Testament, the writers <clears throat> are asking believers to to better know God by being with Him, by experiencing Him. In the book of 2 Peter, in chapter 3, verse 18, God says through Peter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I want you to notice that again. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, he says. Only God can touch the eyes of your heart. When you come this far along, you are in a connected relationship with God. When he is enlightening the eyes of your heart, 
When you are connected in a relationship with God, you can tell stories about what our Lord has done for you. You can tell people how deep that love is that Christ has for you because you not only read about it in your Bible, but because you know God personally, because you've had experience with Him. You grow in the knowledge of God by continually increasing your understanding of who Christ is and who Christ is in your life. Yes, it does start with our daily intake of Scripture, like food. It starts with, with, with this food into our lives that is like nutrition. It's, it's, like, it's like health food for your soul. See, reading leads to needing, and needing leads to yearning, and yearning to a relationship that builds lifelong bonds. We need that kind of relationship with Jesus. It's more than simply knowing about him. What does the Bible tell us? Even the demons know who he is, and they shudder. There's so many people in our world, not just Christians, but there's people in the world of academia. There's, there's people of Jewish faith. There's people of Muslim faith. There's people of faiths that we haven't even heard of who know who Jesus is from reading a book but they don't know who Jesus is from experiencing him in their life. See, that's the difference between non-Christians or Christians, or else it's supposed to be the difference. It's a deep relationship that allows us to tell people just how much Christ has done for us. It's how in your weakest times, God has offered you grace and you've learned that you can take your request to Him, and no matter how far away you are, He listens. And, and when it seems so dark in our world that He is still there with light, and, and he, is just, he is waiting for the world to turn back to Him, and you can tell people how much Jesus has done for you because you've experienced that in your life. It's about more than reciting Bible verses. It's knowing that God will always be there for you, no matter what the situation I want you to read with me again in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 10. Paul writes this, And we pray this in order, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, colon, bearing fruit, comma, growing in the relationship of God, comma, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Write this down, point number three in your notes this morning. Living a life pleasing to Jesus means that we must be willing to grow from our troubles caused by being a Christian. Living a life pleasing to Jesus means that we must grow from our troubles caused by being a Christian. Paul says that we should be strengthened. You're in need of being strengthened when you are weaker than you must be for what lies ahead in your life. 
That's what causes us to need to be strengthened because what's coming on our own, we're too weak for this. We're going to struggle with, with, our, with our, our human desires. We're going to struggle with, with worldly evil to get through what is coming. That's why we need to be strengthened. In the original language, this is the only time in the New Testament that the word strengthened is used the way it is here. It, the, the meaning of the word means to make strong, to enable, to confirm. Firm. It's the art of growing. It's to become stronger. It, it's, it's the idea of pumping iron, okay? It's instead of this idea of being the buffed out bodybuilder, it's the idea of becoming the buffed out bodybuilder. It's not being Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's becoming Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is a constant motion of growing stronger. Paul knows that we are going to face opposition. Jesus knew we were going to face opposition when we follow him. Your Christian experience and strength training helps us be fortified against the temptations of Satan. It helps us to grow in our ability and in our duty to still hold on to our integrity to still hold on to our biblical values as we're walking through life. It, it gives us this ability to say no to areas in this culture that say yes. When the Bible says no 2,000 years ago, and it still says no now, and it's still going to say no in 2,000 years from now, no matter what the world says, strengthening of our hearts, strengthening of our relationships with God enables us to stand up and do our, our duty to also say no as Christians. It helps us to stand up to this culture and be men of morals and biblical values, not our values, not the world's values, but to stand up for biblical values. We will be tested, but with Jesus by our side, the author of our strength, we can stand strong in our world. Paul says that we need to be strengthened for... He says this, so that you may have great endurance and patience. How much patience do we need to show to others who are still searching for Jesus today? A lot of patience, right? It will take the, it'll take the endurance that only comes through the glorious power and might of Jesus. We we need this endurance and this strength because this opposition to our Christian faith will not stop. It hasn't stopped in thousands of years. And if we think that coming to Christ and walking a Christian walk is going to make it easier and it's going to turn this opposition away, it won't. It will always be there. How strong are we to stand up to it? Paul says to continue to strengthen. Paul says continuing to strengthen does not stop. We are always going to the spiritual gym. 
to strengthen our spiritual faith, to strengthen our, our, our muscles that, that we have to have to stand up. You go to church every Sunday and culture says, why are, why are you warping your mind with, the, with that message of Christ? And, and you come here every Thursday for, for Bible study and others ask, why are you supporting an intolerant religion? And you stand up and you watch your language around people at work so that you can show that Jesus is alive in, in your life and you want to help others you want to help them see God and have a relationship with him and this culture just wags its unholy finger at you nearly by definition a Christian is someone who is out of step with our culture we're out of step with culture and we're supposed to be out of step with our culture there should absolutely be a difference between the way we act and the way we speak and the way we live and the way we love and the way that culture does. They should be able to see a difference in us. Amen? See, when you and I left to come to church this morning, your neighbors, they saw you. When we go throughout our work day, our neighbors will, they'll see us. Everyone is watching us. When someone knows you're a Christian, everything that you do is put up, it's, it's held at a different standard, right? And we talked about this last week. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard when we go to work and we slip and somebody says, I thought you were a Christian, right? Well, I am and I'm growing. I'm strengthening that means I'm not strong enough, but I continue to strengthen. I continue to grow. I continue to become more fierce to this opposition because my faith is growing. I'm becoming stronger. The armor of God is always there to help strengthen us. We need to put it on. We don't take it off. It's our job to continue to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have endurance and patience. When you have a chance to speak about Jesus, and you're, maybe you're at the laundromat and you see and you hear culture rearing its ugly head and, and there's maybe weakness in your faith and you've got a, a sharp tongue through against somebody who's who's in op opposition to to your faith sometimes that sometimes our tongue and our opposition sometimes we bite a little harder than we should and that can be the biggest deterrent to somebody hearing the gospel right yeah. see we need to have patience with others and endurance in this world. We need to have endurance. Endurance is that ability to keep going. This is a continuous prayer of Paul to the church in Colossae. And through God's inspired word, his prayer for us. And with all these issues that we face in our culture for being a brother, brothers and sisters in Christ... I am so glad that we don't have to face this life alone. I am so thankful that, that we are walking with a winner. Amen? I am so thankful that, that we are walking with the Creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who separated the wheat from the chaff. The, I'm astonished 
that I am loved by somebody who is not leaving me here to fight alone. I want you to read with me again in Colossians chapter 1, or in verse number 10. Paul says this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, colon, bearing fruit in every good work, comma, growing in the knowledge of God, comma, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, in verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Point number four in your notes this morning, living a life that is pleasing to Jesus means that we must be joyfully giving thanks for all that we have. Living a life pleasing to Jesus means that we must joyfully be giving thanks for all that we have. The first reason that Paul mentions that we need to give thanks is because we, as Christians, are sharing in the inheritance of God's holy people. We are adopted sons into the body of Christ. We're adopted daughters into the body of Christ. We will spend eternity with Jesus in this place that he has gone to prepare for us, a place that there is no more pain, that there, there are, is no more suffering, no clouds, that, that there are people all over who are in his kingdom of light, people who are walking streets of gold, who are also adopted into the kingdom of heaven. And we are to joyfully be thankful. Just look at what we have, what we've been given from these verses that we've studied this morning. God gave us the commission. He gave us the command to go out and tell other people, right? He gave us the power to tell other people. He gave us the skill to go and bear fruit. The kingdom of God, we bear fruit to bring people to the kingdom. Oh, we can't save others. That's the Holy Spirit's job, but we can be a conduit for the Holy Spirit. We can be that avenue that somebody is touched by the Holy Spirit and brings them to Christ. And I am joyfully thankful to be able to be used by God to teach other people about Jesus. We've also been given the ability to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's more than simply reading the Bible. It's more than simply reading history or studying what happened in the area of Palestine, in the area of Galilee and Judea and Samaria back 2,000 years ago. It's more than just watching a movie and seeing the history. It's the actual ability to call upon His name in our time of sorrow and praise Him in our time of gratefulness. It's, time, it's the ability to praise Him in our time of sorrow and come to Him in our time of gratefulness. See, we have this ability to see God's hand working in our lives, and for that, I am eternally grateful. We've been offered strength, the opportunity and, and the will and the ability to, 
to oppose this world and oppose this culture that all but demands that that we live an ungodly lifestyle and that this lifestyle be inserted into our hearts where God's holiness lives. And we have the ability to oppose that. We can grow stronger than we are now in our faith. If we look at ourselves and we see ourselves struggling with worldly temptations, when we see ourselves struggling with our culture, we know that there is strength in Christ to get through it and that He walks before us. He walks in front of us, that we're not walking through this alone. We know that Jesus is our answer, and for that, I am eternally thankful that we can be strengthened, that we can walk through this world and we don't have to walk through it alone that christ walks in front of us and we walk with our brothers and sisters in christ and that when we pray that we should be thanking god for something In every one of our prayers, we should be so joyfully thankful for this food and joyfully thankful for this day and joyfully thankful for our family and joyfully thankful to Him for allowing us to be used to bear fruit and joyfully thankful for Him giving us a a list of ways to be able to please Christ in our Christian walk and to be joyfully thankful thankful for this wonderful place of worship and joyfully thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are here now and our brothers and sisters in Christ who will be here in this church in the future and to be joyfully thankful for him knowing us and allowing us to know him and to be joyfully thankful for God sending his son and to be joyfully thankful for the cross, and to be joyfully thankful for our salvation, and to be joyfully thankful for the eternity that we will share with Him in heaven. Let's pray.